he invited me to dine with him on Saturday, which was a very natural thing for him to do. Well, what have I learned since? That your mother and Monsieur de Villefort are both coming to this dinner. I shall meet him there. And who knows? And who knows what future advantages may result from the interview. This may appear to you to be no unusual combination of circumstances. Nevertheless, I perceive some hidden plot in the arrangement. Something, in fact, more than is apparent on a casual view of the subject. <laughs> I believe that this singular man, who appears to fathom the motives of everyone, has purposefully arranged for me to meet Monsieur and Madame de Villefort. And sometimes, I confess, I have gone as far as to try and read it in his eyes, whether he is in possession of the secret of our love. My good friend, said Valentine, I should take you for a visionary, and you should trem and should tremble for your reason if I were always to hear you talk in a strain similar to this. It is, is it possible that you can see anything more than the merest chance of the, in this meeting? Pray, reflect a little. My father, who never goes out, has several times been on the point of refusing this invitation. Madame de Villefort, on the contrary, is burning with a desire to see this extraordinary nabob in his own house. Therefore, she has with great difficulty prevailed on my father to accompany her. No, no, it is as I have said, Maximilian. There is no one in the world whom I can ask help but yourself and my grandfather, who is little better than a corpse. No support to cling to but my mother in heaven. I see that you are right, logically speaking, said Maximilian. But the gentle voice which usually has such power over me fails to convince me today. I feel the same as regards yourself, said Valentine, and I own that if you have no stronger proof to give me. I have another, replied Maximilian, but I fear you will deem it even more absurd than the first. So much the worse, said Valentine, smiling. It is, nevertheless, conclusive to my mind. Ten years of service have also confirmed my ideas on the subject of sudden inspirations, for I have several times owed my life to a mysterious impulse which directed me to move at once either to the right or to the left in order to escape the ball which kicked a comrade fighting by my side, whilst it left me unharmed. Dear Maximilian, why do you attribute your escape to my, cons my constant prayers for your safety? When you were away, I no longer pray for myself, but for you. Yes, since you have known me, said Morel, smiling, but that cannot apply to the same previous, to the time previous to our acquaintance. You are very provoking and will not give me credit for anything.
but let me hear this second proof, which you yourself own to be observed. Well, looking through this opening, you will see the beautiful new horse which I rode here. Ah, oh, what a beautiful creature, cried Valentine. Why did you not bring him close to the gate so that I could talk to him and pat him? He is, as you see, a very valuable animal, said Max. And you know that my means are limited and that I am what I would be designated a man of moderate, of moderate pretensions. Well, I went to a horse dealer's where I saw this magnificent horse, which I have named Medea. Asked for the price, and they told me it was four and a half thousand francs. I was therefore obliged to give it up, as you may imagine. But I own I went away with a rather heavy heart, for the horse had looked at me affectionately, had rubbed its head against me, and when I mounted him, had pranced in the most delightful way imaginable, so that I was altogether fascinated with him. The same evening, some friends of mine visited me, Monsieur de Chateau Renard, Monsieur de Bray, and five or six other choice spirits, whom you do not know even by name. <clears throat> they proposed a game of boulette. I never play, for I am not rich enough to afford to lose, or sufficiently poor to desire to gain. But I was at my own house, you understand, so there was nothing that could be done but to send for the cards, which I did. Just as I was sitting down to table, Monsieur de Monte Cristo arrived. He took his seat amongst them. They played, and I won. I am almost ashamed to say that my gains amounted to 5,000 francs. We separated at midnight, and I could not defer my pleasure, so I took a cabriolet and drove to the horse dealer's feverish and excited. The person who opened it must have taken me for a madman, for I rushed at once to the stable. Medea was standing at the rack, eating his hay. I immediately put on the saddle and bridle, to which operation he lent himself, with the best grace possible. Then, putting the four and a half thousand francs into the hands of the astonished dealer, I proceeded to fulfil my intention of passing the night in riding the Champs-Élysées. As I rode by the Count's house, I perceived a light in one of the windows, and I saw the—I fancied I saw the shadow of his figure moving behind the curtain. Now, Valentine, I firmly believe that he knew of my wish to possess this horse, and that he lost expressly to give me the means of procuring it. My dear Valen Maximilian, you really are too fanciful. You will not love me even long. A man who accustoms himself to live in such a world of poetry and imagination must find far too little excitement in a common everyday sort of attachment such as ours. But they are calling to me, do you hear? Oh, Valentine, give me but one finger through this opening in the grating, one finger, the littlest finger of all, that I may have the happiness of kissing it. Maximilian, we said it would be to each other as two voices, two shadows. As you will, Valentine. Shall you be happy if I do as you wish? Oh, yes.
Valentine mounted on a bench and passed not only her finger but her whole hand through the opening. Maximilian uttered a cry of delight and, springing forward, seized the hand extended towards him and imprinted upon it a fervent and impassioned kiss. The little hand was then immediately withdrawn and the young man saw Valentine hurrying towards the house as though she were almost terrified at her own sensations. We will now relate what was passing at the house of the king's attorney after the department of Madame Danglars and her daughter, and during the time of the conversation between Maximilian and Van Valentine. Monsieur de Villefort <coughs> entered his father's room, <coughs> followed by Madame de Villefort. Both of the visitors, after saluting the old man and speaking to Barrios, a faithful servant who had been 25 years in his service, took their places on each side of the paralytic. Monsieur Nautier was sitting in an armchair, which moved upon casters, in which he was wheeled into the room in the morning and in the same way drawn out again at night. He was placed before a large glass, which reflected the whole apartment. And so, without any attempt to move, which would have been impossible. He could see all who entered the room and everything which was going on around him. Monsieur Nautier, although almost immovable as a corpse, looked at the newcomers with a quick and intelligent expression, perceiving at once their ceremonies, by their ceremonious courtesy that they were here on business of an unexpected and official character.